0: One of the things that, uh, that has happened this year, which is really unique, I'm not sure it's happened, maybe it has and I just don't remember it, uh, but that uh, Valentine's Day, 4th of July and Halloween all fell on Sundays this year. And, um, and so a lot of times we don't stop for these things, but because of the uniqueness of that and each of those, those given Sundays, we've stopped to actually look at that and deal with that. So this morning, I felt we might actually take a time to look at uh, to spiritual warfare, um, as we are aware of different things that are taking place within uh, our culture, and we, we know what is transpiring today, and uh, we talk about ghosts and goblins and different things on Halloween, I felt it was important for us to actually look at what God's Word has to say about Christ's authority over darkness. And, uh, and so this morning, we're going we're to gonna kind of dive right into the Gospel of Mark, look at the first section of Mark. And then from there, uh, have just a moment to, to look and see how Jesus responds to those demons that he's confronted with. And so, as we do that, we're going to be in Mark 1. Before we get started, I do want to just mention, if you have an opportunity today and you see Brandy and Cliff, you probably already have, it's their one-year anniversary, so we want to just take a minute and celebrate that with them with them on that. And so, um, but... Let's dive in together. We're just going to drive right in. Let's go ahead and look at Mark chapter 1. Stand together as we read this. It's going to be in verses 21 through 28. And this is what it says. It says, And they went into Capernaum, and immediately on the Sabbath he entered the synagogue and was teaching. And they were astonished at his teaching, for he taught them as one who had authority and not as the scribes. And immediately there was in the synagogue a man with an unclean spirit, and he cried out, What have you to do with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. But Jesus rebuked him, saying, Be silent and come out of him. And the unclean spirit, convulsing him and crying out with a loud voice, came out of him. And they were all amazed, so that they questioned among themselves, saying, What is this? A new teaching with authority. He commands even the unclean spirits, and they obey Him. And at once, His fame spread everywhere throughout all the surrounding region of Galilee. Let's pray. Lord, as we look at Your Word this morning, we're grateful and thankful for Your authority over all things. Father, I pray that You would encourage our hearts this morning. That, Lord, that we wouldn't be blind to the actions of the enemy, but, God, that we would be encouraged to also see the power that you have over the enemy. And so, Lord, this morning, may you speak to each of our hearts. May we walk away empowered in your spirit, living as a people who are victorious and not hopeless. God, may your joy be seen in our lives and may you be glorified, God, through the work of your spirit. And we ask this in your name. Amen. Well, the central part of this passage deals with the idea that Christ's authority grants deliverance from spiritual warfare through the gospel. Christ's authority grants deliverance from spiritual warfare through the gospel. Christ's authority grants deliverance through the gospel. That's what this passage is about. That we have an enemy of our souls and Christ is already victorious. In verse 21 it says, And they went into Capernaum and immediately on the Sabbath he entered the synagogue and was teaching. Now, the synagogue was not a temple. The, the synagogue was actually, in Greek, it literally means assembly or bringing together. And it, the idea of the synagogues kind of took root during the time of Israel's captivity in Babylon. And the temple had been destroyed and there was no place to worship, so the Jews decided to meet in these small groups for the purpose of praying and reading the law and teaching the law and worshiping together. And by tradition, what would happen is rabbis would move from synagogue to synagogue to explain the law. And so the synagogues provided a natural place for Jesus to carry out his ministry in each town. Now, we know from Mark that this is early in Jesus' ministry. He's just in verse 14 of chapter 1. After John is arrested, he proclaims, the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. So Jesus has just jumped in to his ministry. Now the beauty of the gospel of Mark is you will notice that what Mark is interested in here is actually helping us see Jesus as a servant, but as a victorious servant, one who is serving the Father and is victorious over all things. Through it, what Mark is showing is that he's truly the Son of Man and truly he is the Son of God. And so, verse 22 continues, it says, And they were astonished at his teaching, for he taught them as one who had authority and not as the scribes. Well, the the scribes would go from synagogue to synagogue, and they would just basically quote the other scribes. They didn't teach with conviction. They were like parrots, right? They just repeated what they had heard. There was no conviction behind it. There was no authority behind it. And so there was this distinction. It's kind of why the the Scriptures speak of the fact that the things that are foolish or seem foolish to the world are the things that actually humble or shame the wise. It's because the idea behind this is that the rabbis were simply teaching intellect. But they actually weren't teaching the Word of God. And so Jesus spoke the Word of God. He used the Word and He challenged them to willingly respond to the truth. 2 Timothy, actually, in four, verses, chapter 4, verses 2, it affirms this when Paul says, Preach the word, be ready in season and out of season, reprove, rebuke, exhort with great patience and instruction. That's God's call for us too. The word of God has power. And Jesus spoke the word of God. One pastor put it this way. His teaching was absolute, focused on essential matters, not trivialities, and had the conviction of truthfulness, not merely suggestion. The Word of God had power, and He spoke with that power. He spoke with that authority, and it led to the people being astonished. And that word in Greek, astonished, literally means to be struck with shock or panic really means it carries with the idea of it blew their mind. They hadn't heard anything like it before. It was life-changing. It struck them right at their heart. But notice something else that happens here. The people have their minds blown, but the authority of Jesus' teaching actually causes the enemy to be exposed. In verse 23, it says, And immediately there was in their synagogue a man with an unclean spirit. That's a demon-possessed man. And he cried out, What have you to do with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. Now, it's interesting. This demon, actually, in this moment, is acknowledging everything about Jesus. But something happens. He also, you can sense here, saying, Listen, I know who you are. And if I simply expose you, guess what? Your power is actually going to be gone. The demon responds in fear. So, how do demons respond to the authority of Christ? In fear. Now think about this for a minute. When we talk about things like demons, one of the things that we notice in Scripture is that God and Jesus never mock Satan. They never mock him. It's important that we understand that. We don't get the freedom to mock the enemy. Jesus doesn't mock him. He simply deals with the enemy where he's at. And so... Demons respond in fear to the authority of Christ. But too often, as believers, we too respond to demons in fear. And the problem with that is, is if Christ is in us, it should be the demons that shudder, not us. See, they actually respond in fear at the simple mention of Christ's name. at the mention of the one who has sent them to an eternity separated from God. Ephesians 6.12 says, For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Our battle is not against flesh and blood. There's a, a supernatural, a spiritual battle that's taking place. And we need to understand that. You see, demons are real and they're liars. They love to infiltrate religious systems, and all false religions and false teachers are the direct result of Satan. Their hope is to deceive and then influence lives through possession or oppression. 2 Corinthians 11, verse 14 through 15 says, No wonder, for even Satan disguises himself as an angel of light. So it is no surprise if his servants, that is demons, also disguise themselves as servants of righteousness. Their end will correspond to their deeds. Now the hopeful part of this is, as a follower of Christ, as a believer in Jesus, one who has confessed Him as Lord... We can't be possessed by demons. For the believer, we cannot be possessed by demons. Mark actually deals with this two chapters later in chapter 3 when he says, But no one can enter a strong man's house and plunder his goods unless he first binds the strong man. Then indeed he may plunder his house. This is actually when the the teachers, the religious leaders were actually saying Jesus was possessed. And Jesus was like, "Uh uh-uh. Nope. Demons don't have the ability to bind Jesus. So when Christ is in us, our household cannot be possessed by another. And that's important. I remember as a kid, that scared me to death. I'm like, the last thing was like, "Ah, I don't know anything about these demons, but they aren't good. Here's the thing. If you know Jesus, if you can just confess Jesus as Lord, he can't possess you. He can't live within you. Only Christ is living in you. But that doesn't mean they don't have power. See, demons, while they're not able to reside within you, they can attempt to oppress you from the outside. They're still deceivers. They're still liars. They still create temptation. They can still try to hold in bondage and expose our weaknesses and discourage us. And ultimately, their desire is to prevent God's will and bring about destruction in your life rather than victory in your life. That's why demons desire to remain hidden. But they can't remain hidden in the presence of Christ. And that's why the unclean spirit cries out. Because in the face of truth, demons are exposed. So Christ's ministry in the synagogue then reveals how the influence of the enemy can be broken through his authority. I'm going to ask the kids to come up here real quick. So if you're fifth grader below, come on up real quick. All right. Kevin, you want to come up and help me real quick? Do you want to jump up with me? Sorry, man. All right. Sorry. So what I want you to do is you have three seconds, one at a time, okay? And Kevin's going to walk right in front of you, okay? And what I want you to do is you may not be your favorite piece of candy, but I want you to look at it. And I want you to grab a piece of candy that looks delicious. You have three seconds, and so Kevin's gonna walk right in front of you. You can pick a piece of candy real quick, all right? Okay. (laughs) 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 <laughs> <Get> it, <girl. laughs> <There you go. laughs> oh we got zach and seth in the back here oh you got him. okay okay seth you got one okay so kevin's gonna stay right here now I want you, Levi, to tell me what you like about that piece of candy. It's a lollipop. You like the flavor. What's the flavor of it? I don't know if it's cherry. Cherry. Okay. All right. Okay. That's good. Uh, Josiah, I, I, yeah. I, I just like anything that um, I actually grabbed the bricks, but it sent it, I didn't get any of like, it. Well, that was nice. That was nice. So you grabbed the Twix, but since she wanted it and she didn't have it, you gave it to her. Is that right? That's awesome. Yep. All right. Yeah. It's hard to go wrong with any kind of candy, right? So now I want you to look at that piece of candy for a second. I want you to actually think about eating it, what it would taste like. Just picture it for a second. Think about it. not sure with it it's it is just chocolate all right so I know. I, so what I need you to do is go ahead and now that you have that and somebody's eating their candy already um, what I want you to do is I want you to go ahead and put the candy back okay all right so now okay we're gonna hang on just for a second hang on just for a second don't be too sad because i i've got some other surprise for you lizzie okay here's the thing this is going a little different than I expected. <laughs> what is it? I, I know, I know. So here's the deal. So, Isabel, what made it hard to give up that candy? It was my very, very, very favorite candy. Yeah, okay, it was your favorite for candy, okay. Canon, why did you give up the candy? That wasn't my favorite. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't have it because I was cold. Ryan, did you? Why did you give up the candy? Because I'm um, used it. Okay, because I said, right? Yeah. Okay, good. And you know what, Canon? your answer is a good one too. Okay. So sometimes we're an awful lot like this, right? Where God's authority in our life. Sometimes it's really easy to follow authority because we don't like the candy. At other times, it's really hard, and we hang on to it, right? And we squeeze it tight, and we're like, "God, I'm not going to let you do this." Yeah, yeah, and that's that's usually what happens: is the candy gets broken, right? When we hang on to it, and God wants it, right? Yeah. Okay. And then the other part of that is is God's told us. Right? And the reason we give it back is because God's told us. We submit because God's word says to submit. So real quick, you guys are going to each get another piece of candy. You guys can take one real fast. Take two pieces this time. Take two pieces. We'll come right back over. Go quick, go quick, go quick. Yeah, you go. Yep. yep, Thank you, guys. You may sit this time, yes. Thank you, guys. You may, yep, yep, yep. All right. Well, that went a little different trajectory than I was thinking, but we got there, and... Uh, And if you want some additional candy as adults, see Kevin afterwards. He'll be happy to, happy to help you with that. But here's the truth. Is that God's authority has power over it because of our willingness to actually know His voice and know His word. And so sometimes we want to hang on. But other times, it's easy, but most of the time, it's because it is simply His Word. And so rejecting the voice of the enemy and breaking the influence of spiritual warfare and Christ's authority demands of us to first speak the truth in love with His Word. Speak the truth in love with His Word. It was his word, his teaching, that actually stirred up and caused the demon to cry out. You see, the truth destroys the enemy's lies. It's the only thing through which God's word and truth that the people will be set free. This is why it's so important to go to others when others are walking in unrepentant sin. To speak the truth and love to them. It's why we need to be able to hear the truth. It's why James 5 says, therefore confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. It is the fact that the truth breaks through the strongholds. Ephesians 4, 14 through 15 says, As a result, we are no longer to be children tossed here and there by waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by the trickery of men, by craftiness and deceitful scheming. But speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in all aspects into him who is the head, even Christ. It's the truth of God that breaks through the enemy's lies. It's one of the reasons that when we sense a spiritual attack, The place that we don't run to is just to the norm of what we've always done, but the place that we run to is God's Word. We need to hear God's Word. We need to have it spoken to us, and we need to speak it as well. One of the best reasons for memorizing Scripture is that when you come underneath that spiritual attack, that you go to it, you cling to it. You recite it. It is that the word of God has power. One pastor put it this way, truth is therefore deadly to the demonic operation. Deadly. This is where the initial conflict comes. One of the best things to remember is that if you're experiencing spiritual attack, it's coming because they're fearful of the work of truth at work in your life. They're fearful of the work of truth at work in your life. You're going to experience spiritual warfare if you're diving into God's Word. It's going to happen. Why in the world, when you go to read God's Word, that there's some sort of flyer or some sort of piece of paper or something that's never grabbed your attention before that's sitting on a table, that's posted on a wall... You sit down to read God's word and you're like, ah, I wonder what that says. And the entire time you're like, man, I never even paid attention to that at all. But in the moment of reading God's word, all of a sudden everything else looks interesting. Why? Because the enemy knows that the truth cuts through his lies, his deception, that the word has power because it's God's Word. We need to realize that as we're diving into Scripture, we can expect spiritual attack. When we get baptized, we can expect spiritual attack. Even Jesus Himself, after being baptized by John, went into the wilderness and was tempted by Satan. When we take a stand for Christ, there will be spiritual attacks. But we need to meet those attacks with God's word by speaking his truth. That's why this whole language today of go ahead and speak your truth or this is my truth is hogwash. And as Christians, we need to stay away from that language. Truth is. Is truth. It can be your opinion, it can be the way that you feel, but it is not necessarily truth. There is no such thing as my truth. There is no such thing as your truth. There is only the truth. Ephesians 4, 26-27 says, Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger and give no opportunity to the devil. We need to be a people who don't give opportunity to the devil. So how do we do that? Well, that brings us to the second piece. The first, to speak the word of God. The second, to persist in submission to Christ. The enemy will fight but has no power over Christ. We persist in submission to Christ. This is one that's often forgotten. You see, it's only through our submission to Christ and his lordship that we experience his salvation and victory. Our faith life is one of endurance and perseverance. We persist in it. And what happens often among spiritual attack is we go, well, I've prayed. I've prayed about it. I did that yesterday. And God didn't take it away. God didn't remove it today. I keep trying, but he hasn't taken it away. Now, sometimes God does take away temptation in the moment. Sometimes he removes it entirely altogether. But often, we have to persist in our submission to Jesus. There are times that the enemy will attack and create even anxiety. Anxiety. Or depression. Not all anxiety or depression is caused by spiritual attack, but there are spiritual attacks which cause that. Temptations. Not all temptations are caused by spiritual attacks. Some are caused by the flesh. But we need to persist in submission to Christ. We persist. And I think what happens is we so often want the victory to be complete in the moment when in fact what Christ is doing is trying to to show his power to us and he's trying to reveal himself to others you see it's only through that submission that strongholds are broken so what exactly is a stronghold then A stronghold is any area of past or present sin in our lives that the enemy is able to grab hold of and create temptation, fear, or discouragement. It's often sin that's being allowed to reign in our lives. It's kind of like being a bicycle. The enemy grabs a hold of the handlebars on us, the sin The areas of unbelief and attempts to drag us around. The enemy loves to destroy marriages. Can we persist? We give up. We say, Oh, I've tried for five weeks. I've tried for three months. Are you persisting? Are you persisting in submission to Jesus? God hasn't promised the outcome, but do I trust that God in His outcome will work it for His good? Can I persist? In my faith, when I know God's Word and God's Word is saying, think on these things. As we heard last week, whatever is good, whatever is holy, whatever is just, whatever is worthy of praise, think on these things. Can I do that? I'll tell you, for me personally, that can be a hard one. I'm not an optimist. I'm not a pessimist, but I land right in that middle on that realist part, which makes me both. (laughs) And the truth is, there are a lot of times that being a pessimist is a whole lot more familiar than being an optimist. And you know what happens in that? It's a whole lot easier to think about what can go wrong than it is to think about what God is doing and his power to bring about what is right. And what God has called us to do is to think on those things that reflect his character. James 4, 6 through 10 says, But he gives more grace, therefore it says, God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. Submit yourselves therefore to God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Draw near to God and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners. Purify your hearts, you double-minded. Be wretched and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned to gloom and your joy to mourning. And then he goes on and he says this one thing. Humble yourself before the Lord and he will exalt you. What an awesome thing. So the reward for resisting the devil... For submitting to Christ, that's what he's really saying. Submit to Christ and the power of His grace and draw near to Him, pursuing, seeking Him, focused on Him. The reward in it is actually humility that leads to exaltation. We need to be people who persist in submission to Christ, who are finishers, not just starters. Starters. 1 Peter 5, 8-10 through 10 says, Be sober-minded, be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. Resist him, firm in your faith, knowing that the same kinds of suffering are being experienced by your brotherhood throughout the world. And after you have suffered a little while, the God of all grace, who has called you to his eternal glory in Christ, will himself restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. Resist him by submitting to Christ persistently. David Guzik says, authority flows from submission. We aren't safe with real authority from God unless we're also submitted to God. And that's key. God's authority in our life comes from our submission to Jesus. He's not a genie in a bottle. He's not somebody where we continue to walk in sin and just say, well, God's failed me today. He should have done it because he said he would. The scriptures are predicated on our submission to Jesus. The promises were for those who confessed him as Lord, for submitting to him as Lord. And then the other promises that he's granted are for those who are in judgment, that have rejected the grace of Jesus. So the third thing. The first is to speak the word. The the second deals with persisting in submission. And then the third we see here, what was the, the resulting of this? It says in verse 27, and they were all amazed so that they questioned among themselves saying, what is this? A new teaching with authority. He commands even the unclean spirits and they obey him. So the third thing is to trust in the Holy Spirit's power to deliver, to deliver you from spiritual attack. He who raised Jesus is the same one who is with you. Romans 8, 11 through 13 says, If the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. When we face spiritual attack, we need to remember that the one who raised Christ from the dead is the one who lives within us. And the same power that he used to raise from the dead is the same power that he is granting for our victory over sin that has already been accomplished in Jesus. Luke 10, verses 17 through 20 says, the 72 returned with joy. This is Jesus speaking. Lord, even the demons are subject to us in your name. And he said to them, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. Behold, I have given you authority to tread on serpents and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy, and nothing shall hurt you. Nevertheless, do not rejoice in this, that the spirits are subject to you, but rejoice that your names are written in heaven. What an awesome passage. And why does he tell them that? Because their authority is predicated, again, not on themselves. their authority is on Christ and through Christ in their humility. It comes when we no longer live in a place of saying, God, this is what I'm entitled to. But we live in a place of saying, I am blessed with you. So spiritual strongholds, spiritual warfare are broken through the word, They're broken through persistence and submission, and they're broken by trusting in the Holy Spirit's power to deliver us from spiritual attack. So, what's the purposeful truth in this passage? What grants us purpose? Why is it important? Why is it important that we overcome spiritual warfare in Christ's authority? Well, in verse 28, it says, And at once his fame spread everywhere throughout all the surrounding region of Galilee. When Christ's authority exposes and overcomes spiritual warfare, he's made known and glorified. When Christ's authority exposes and overcomes spiritual warfare, he is made known and glorified. His authority is exposed. And it overcomes the power of sin and the power of the enemy. And then he is made known and he is glorified through it. You ever been frustrated that you're having to endure spiritual attacks? I want to encourage you to change your thinking. Not that we should embrace them as something good. But that we embrace them that God is one who is good. That we embrace the idea that through this, it is often His power that is seen. And He is made known to a world that is in desperate need of Him. Spiritual warfare is not something for us to fear. Spiritual warfare is something for us to engage in the authority of Jesus with reverence and awe towards God and humility of the battle that's being waged, with the knowledge that God will bring good for His purposes and for His glory. So may it be when we think of these things that we don't mock the enemy and we respect his power, but that we hold and cling to the one who has power over all things, and that is Jesus. And may our hope and our confidence and our peace be rooted in Him and not in the fear of the enemy. Let's pray. Father, thank You for today. May we be a people who respond to Your Word because You say so. May we not hesitate and hold on to sin, Lord, because we like it. And it may not just be because we're indifferent. But God, may we be a people who are completely and utterly submitted to you, confidently seeing that you are a God who has already overcome the enemy, an enemy who wages battles, who looks to bring destruction but who's already been defeated. May we walk in the power of your spirit and may the authority of your son Jesus be visible in our lives as we walk humbly with you and humbly draw near to you. And we ask these things in your name. Amen.